My name is Scott Chaloner and this is the Leaders Council podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a dark and dreary autumn day here in the capital, but here joining me on today's program, hoping to add a little bit of brightness to the day, is Gillian Sewell, CEO at YMCA Derbyshire. Uh, Gillian, welcome and thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, good morning, Scott. I'm happy to do so. Morning, Gillian, and thank you so much for, of course, giving up your time to come and uh, talk to us uh, today. Um, so you're the CEO of YMCA Derbyshire, and um, the YMCA, of course, is the oldest and largest youth charity in the world. Um, and I can imagine that sort of over your many years working for the organisation, you've probably seen quite a lot. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm embarrassed to say I've been with the YMCA for 30 years next year. Uh, so we've gone through many a transition, but I've got to be honest and say the last 18 months have probably been mm. the most challenging and um, the most interesting, I would say. Mm. It would be remiss of us, of course, not to talk about that and how that has affected you on the ground. So what are, is sort of the nature of some of the challenges that you faced over the last 18 or so months with that COVID period? Uh, I think from a COVID perspective, the challenges have been that we've had to... Um, it's almost like you've had to rebuild the plane whilst you're flying it. Mm. Uh, we've had to mobilise things, do things very differently. We've um, there's been a number of things that have been completely out of our control, and it's been a moving landscape. Um, and we've had to quickly mobilise because the YMCA that I, I manage is, is a housing association, it's a college, mm-hmm. and it also has childcare, and every single one of those services uh, had to remain. Um, we were not one of the organisations that um, furloughed anyone. Well, actually, I think we had a couple due to health issues, but um, all of our services had to continue running, but we had to run them very differently. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you've had to kind of maintain sort of the morale of your staff members in keeping those services ticking over over the, that period of time, but also working with a lot of young people often sort of going through issues of their own. I can imagine that sort of keeping on top of mental health was quite the challenge as well. Uh, mental health was one of the biggest challenges. And what, what we really had to do was um, try and give a sense of normality. It was very interesting seeing uh, myself, my colleagues, as well as those that we serve, all being in exactly the same storm. That's unprecedented. Mm. But we did feel we were in very different boats, shall I say. But from a health and well-being perspective, we really had to um, support. We had to do the changes. We had to ensure that um, young people felt safe. We had to keep our staff safe. We had to keep our residents safe. And we've got over 200 residents with 90 on the same site. Um, So we had some staff home working, but we also had um, support workers that were delivering on the front line, trying to keep them safe, trying to keep their morale going. We invested significantly in health and well-being. Uh, We invested in um, digital uh, media, digital technology. Uh, We ensured that all our lessons went online. But also what we did was we sent out food parcels so that we could actually go to the family homes and check that our young people were okay. Because we have a college as well and we have alternative education provision. So we changed completely of making sure that we took food parcels directly to their home. They opened the door and we were able to do a bit of a check on them as well and make sure they were okay. 
Um, I'm proud to say that YMCA Derbyshire won the National YMCA COVID Impact Award because of the work mm. that we did do. We purchased uh, 50 tablets, we, we purchased uh, mobile hotspots, we invested in training for our health and wellbeing teams, we um, invested in a mighty network digital platform, we developed online befriending services, uh, we addressed the isolation of community members, we, um, our young people, our residents at the YMCA actually delivered 2,000 hours of volunteering to help their local community and make sure that we sent out food parcels to the elderly as well. Mm. Uh, we increased hours of our in-house counsellors. We increased funding on our health and wellbeing. We signposted funding to support small group activities. We delivered over a 1,000 emergency food parcels and we cooked over 200 hot meals a month um, for those that were experiencing lockdown around us. But what we tried to do more than anything was try and bring a sense of normality. It's incredible just sort of how that community spirit has really manifested itself during that time and how volunteers have gone above and beyond in order to sort of keep people fed, keep those vital services being provided. It's absolutely amazing to see. And um, I suppose it's sort of not gone away the need for that either, because even though we're not in a full lockdown anymore, the sort of after effects of COVID are still there. And obviously the Prime Minister's brief yesterday, we're recording this podcast just for the listeners on December the 9th. So we have moved in England to COVID winter to plan B now. It is just a reminder, isn't it, Gillian, that, you know, we are still very much in the thick of this somewhat and organisations like yours, you're still going to have a massive role to play. Yeah, I mean, at three o'clock this afternoon, we have an emergency planning group to respond to um, the Prime Minister's announcement yesterday. Mm. Um, you know, so immediately we're already having to send out um, health and wellbeing um, instructions and health and safety instructions to all our staff members. Our college will, you know, we're waiting. Because also we, we get different, um, we get instructions from the Department of Education. We also get instructions from the Department of Housing. Mm. And we've got, and we're the one team, but we end up with two national lots of instructions, if you like. Um, but one of the things I would really like to say is, as a leader in the city of Derby, is the partnerships approaches as a leader of YMCA Derbyshire. It was so important that we operated in partnership with the rest of the city. Mm-hmm. And I've honestly got to say that the local authority, Derby City Council, were incredible. And the platforms that they created uh, to enable us all to play on the same field and allowed us to take control and manage the situation as opposed to being dictated to how that situation would work, just enabled us all to feel valued and respected. It, they facilitated, enabled and coordinated exceptionally well. And I do have to take my hat off to them. Mm. Got to be honest, though, we're all holding our breath for the mm. um, the spring budget. We are holding our breath. We are stretched to the absolute limits with food for thought areas, poverty commissions, faith forums, all contributing and working as a team across the city I would be, I can't comprehend what it would be like if any further resource was taken out of the system. Mm, It would be a disaster, wouldn't it? And I think that if there's any good to sort of come out of the uh, the pandemic, which has been a quite difficult and tragic time, it's shed far more of a light on these social issues and social inequalities, hasn't it? So I think the general public is now perhaps more aware than ever before of what is sort of bubbling underneath the service, and there's a lot more goodwill towards organisations such as yours. Yeah, there is. I mean, I think also we've got to stop blaming people for poverty. 
you know, people don't choose to 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 experience poverty, but mm-hmm. we do tend to put a bit of a blame culture on why people are experiencing poverty. And I think uh, the pandemic has been a great leveler. Um, and I would also say that, I mean, from a Derby perspective, I'm involved in what's called the Poverty Truth Commission. And what that is actually doing is making sure there's an authentic voice um, at the the, the, the coalface, shall we say. That authentic voice is listened to as to why people are experiencing the level of poverty and mental health that they're experiencing and allowing that authentic voice to go straight through to the decision makers. And I'm actually quite excited about the Poverty Truth Commission in Derby. And again, the local authority have said, you know what? We're not going to manage and control this. This is going to sit within the sector. I think it's the Dean of Derby Cathedral that's overseeing this one. And taking away the politics out of it, but actually really drilling down. So as a leader in the city, I'm having to listen to an authentic voice as opposed to, oh, we will put our services in place and help all these poor people. Actually, now, what's required of us? What are we doing that may be enforcing this or enabling this? So as a leader, we are having to listen so much to those that we deliver our services to. And I think the Poverty Truth Commission in Derby is helping us do that. Yeah, so it's about sort of helping people out of poverty as well as sort of helping them whilst they're in that situation, isn't it? That's sort of the next natural step, I suppose. Yes, it is. It's actually um, understanding how the poverty's come about as opposed to assuming how it's happened. You know, um, there's always been a link between poverty and worthlessness, and that's not a true link. Um, and I think also, like, for example, Derby's got what you call the Food for Thought Alliance, and they don't only look at and it's a coordinated approach to make sure people can at least eat and are fed and their basic human needs are being fulfilled. But there's also advice and guidance backing that up to try and move away from the situation that people are in. Staggering that it's even possible in a Western democracy such as ours, isn't it? But this is, of course, the uh, the situation that we're in. Um, the reality has been laid bare by the uh, the pandemic, and I think so many more people are now very aware of that. And I think it's sort of shown in the willingness of people when they've been furloughed, especially during the first lockdown, to go and volunteer in the community that, you know, they want to go and do something about it. There is that goodwill there. Oh, the the volunteering has been incredible. And I think actually, um, because again, everybody's been in the same storm. And I think people Mm. are counting their blessings a whole lot more. We are finding that um, people are wanting to connect. Um, I think loneliness has also enabled people to want to connect. Mm. And the, the philanthropic activity as well. Um, we're not really quite at the American stage of how philanthropy works over there, but we've found a definite increase in philanthropic activity where people are thinking, I can't physically do this, but you know what? Financially, I can make a difference. Mm. So organisations such as ourselves, and again, as a, as a leader of, of YMCA Derbyshire, I work to make it easier for people to be able to recognise the framework that they're either volunteering within or they're actually donating to. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I think you're very right in the fact that that sort of networking, that communication, that unity that sort of come about at this time 
that is certainly going to make a real difference in the future. And at a time where we've had to sort of forcibly be apart plenty, um, obviously technological means are what has sort of brought us together and allowed us to sort of keep in touch. Um, obviously, with the Prime Minister's announcement, working from home is sort of coming back as a mandatory order, if at all possible. Um, but in the long term, when sort of COVID is no longer an immediate and present danger, with that sort of digital revolution having been accelerated, can you see sort of remote working, flexible working patterns remaining a part of your operations in the longer term, do you think? Oh, without a doubt. I think only a poor leader wouldn't allow the learning from the Mm. pandemic to actually enable that organisation going forward. I mean, for me, I mean, I feel more connected to my fellow CEOs across the country. You know, we've we've got our WhatsApp groups. We've got our national CEO uh, meetings where we, you know, we will we'll dial in. We'll we'll link with one another. Um, YMCA England and Wales had its first uh, hybrid AGM, where we were people. Some people were in person there in London, and people across England and Wales were actually dialing in. The connectivity has been incredible. I mean, at my own board have only been in once in the last 12 months, 18 months, really. Um, and, you know, but we're still so connected. And the connectivity with our young people as well, you know, being able to, because young people also really enjoy an instant response mm. and they don't have to wait till a meeting. We're, we're, I, the connectivity actually excites me. And, and also how we're able to connect nationally and internationally as a YMCA. Like, for example, I can come up against something on, say, psychotherapy. And, I'm, you know, we, we've got a psych, psychotherapist on the team. And we were looking at a psychotherapy-informed um, practice. I'm able to reach out to my, my, my YMC cousins over in Australia mm. um, and just dial into a conversation with them because they, they're, they're exceptionally good at that over there. Um, and the same with, say, YMC Scotland. that are really amazing at youth empowerment. Um, so we, we link in with them. So for me... I can actually do a whole lot more work online than having to travel to numerous and uh, meetings. The only downside is sometimes it really is good to physically see people mm-hmm. <laughs> and not have. We call it zoomitis when you've actually gone. I mean, by yesterday morning, by eleven o'clock yesterday morning, I'd already been in four Zoom meetings. So I needed to mm-hmm. get up, go for a walk, get some fresh air, get a, a cup of tea, and then come back into the office. That's the only danger, I think, mm. for me and my people, is ensuring that we've got healthy working practices and not back-to-back meetings. Because normally when you're traveling to a meeting, you can get a breath of fresh air, you can grab a sandwich, you can you know, see other human beings. That would be my only worry about the downside of how, you know, the connectivity we now have. Yeah, that's the only danger i suppose isn't it because we've talked all about sort of the benefits that remote working can have for the work-life balance and for sustainability time efficiency because obviously you're not traveling around as well and obviously with sort of climate change being talked about as the next big challenge after the pandemic that's going to be really important but it sort of does blur the line doesn't it between sort of work life and home life if you are working from home especially so it's managing that which is going to be really really important from the well-being perspective as you say it's going to be critical yeah, I mean, but, I mean, you've said a couple of times about, you know, being post-pandemic. I think what really worries me, though, is we may physically come out of the, the, the pandemic, um, but I don't know how long it's actually going to take us to recover mm. mental health-wise, uh, physically, emotionally, um, financially. I, I worry that <laughs> we've got a substantial amount of time 
before we come out of this pandemic, literally come out of it. Mm. The acute completely phase, come yeah. out of it. The, the acute phase might end a lot sooner, but of course, the after effects, the COVID hangover, it seems that that's going to be here for quite a long time to come, as you say, for sure. Yeah, there's going to be a ripple effect. And, and my worry is that, especially, you know, because of the area of the work that I do, um, we are heavily reliant on social policy. Mm. Um, I, I would be remiss not to take this opportunity to say there has to be a significant in- investment in mental health services. There has to be. I think there has to be. I think you're absolutely right. And we're seeing it in education, but I think it's got to be just that little bit more widespread, hasn't it? Because the effects that this is going to have on well-being, considering especially that we're seeing some re-implementing of restrictions now, it's just that reminder that, you know, it's not all going to just suddenly go away. This is going to be lingering for quite some time and we've got to take the steps to address it. Yes, to address the residuals, um of the impact. But I mean, one of the good things I think it's also come out of the pandemic is literally the way my sector also now works. I think it's been really exciting. So this it's not all bad news. Mm. Um, but yeah, I do worry that people might, the decision makers might forget very quickly where the need is. Yeah, and it's going to be really, really important that politicians, especially those at the top, are very, very aware of this moving forward to ensure that this is reflected in policy going into uh, next year. And as we start to understand exactly what this ever-changing landscape starts to look like and we sort of look at what we want to achieve over the next 12 months, um, what are your sort of aims and ambitions for your sort of sector at large, Gillian? And ideally, where would you like your organisation to be by this time next year, do you think? What do you want to achieve? I mean, I'm quite excited about the next year because, interestingly enough, we used some of the time during the pandemic to actually redo our our five-year strategy. Um, And one of the things from a post-pandemic perspective, say, for regards to housing, especially when we we moved, mobilised very quickly to get rough sleepers off the streets and what have you, is that the nature of housing is changing. People are no longer looking to live in shared accommodation, but need to live in close proximity. So we are completely remodeling our housing stock to allow for people to live in close proximity to each each other, but not necessarily shared. So that's a big ask for us. Educationally, we're also an alternative provision provider for education. So we're looking at digital requirements. We did a whole curriculum review. What do young people need now? And we've also identified a number of areas in the shires of Derbyshire where young people are needed and we need to socially architect them into those areas because it's an aging population. The elderly are requiring that kind of cottage industry aspect and entrepreneurism where young people can go in and do their gardens, do their decorating, do the social care. So we're quite excited. We've identified the areas where we are moving into from an accommodation perspective um, and also from our childcare perspective. You know, we delivered in schools um, right through the pandemic. It was our staff that were delivering to key workers' children. And we've got a really strong relationship with a number of schools where we send in um, PE teachers um, and we send in a lot of male PE teachers. So we're quite excited about um, the future. It's really, really a strong future that we have here at YMC Derbyshire and the business plan is probably one of the more exciting ones I've seen in a while. I'm really, really excited and I think there's a massive opportunity. So we have to be optimistic. We mm. cannot, you know, go into this pessimistic mode that we're never going to come out of the pandemic. We may have to just live within it and try and normalise as best we can. 
but I think the YMCA is needed more now than it's ever been needed before. But, you know, we've been around for over 170 years. Mm, exactly right. Many, many years of history and uh, it's a fantastic mission that you have been on and continuing to be on. And it's that can do and really optimistic attitude going into the future, despite everything going on that is so, so, so infectious um, as well. And uh, for those listening in who may feel you're in a position, of course, to indeed help the YMCA on its mission, um, you can visit uh, ymcaderbyshire.org.uk. Is it, Gillian, the website for your branch? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And there is also, of course, a uh, donation section there um, as well for anybody who is in a position to uh, to help the cause. Um, and Gillian, as well, I should thank you for joining us on the uh, the programme today. It's been a real pleasure welcoming you onto the show. And uh, hopefully at some point in the next year or so, we might even catch up on this programme again when all being well. We'll be talking about how you managed to execute some of those fantastic plans successfully. Yeah, I'd love that. I really appreciate that. Thank you ever so much for your time. Be wonderful. Thanks again. And uh, I hope you, Gillian, and everybody associated with YMCA Derbyshire and the YMCA branches all over the world, as well as all of our loyal listeners tuning in, enjoyed today's interview and do all have a very Merry Christmas and enjoy the upcoming holidays. Um, I should add as well to anyone tuning in today that if you do feel you have your own story of success and of innovation to share with us here at the Leaders' Council, as Gillian has today, then why don't you apply to be on the programme via leaderscouncil.co.uk forward slash apply um, until next time Gillian uh, take care and um, do stay safe with all that's still going on and to everybody on the podcast goodbye until next time